Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, back after a match day, back on a Sunday, hangovers fully in check, and this is where we look back at Fulham's very wet and windy 2-1 victory over Hoffenheim at the Cottage last night with one week to go until the season begins. Calvin Bassey off the mark for Fulham, Raul Jimenez off the mark for Fulham, but it wasn't all plain sailing at the Cottage. My name's Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Mr Jack Kelly. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. Mr Dan Cook making a triumphant return. Ah, oh, thanks, JC. It's so good to be back. And the ever-present, ever-valuable Mr. Farrell Monk. How you doing, mate? Yeah, the Saudi money hasn't hasn't uh, tempted me at all. I'm still on full emission. I'm still here. Hello, everyone. Hello, boys. <laughs> Al Halalish soon come. We know we know the exact details of all that's going to work. Um, right, so we have plenty to discuss in part one. We're going to be looking back at yesterday's game against Hoffenheim. Part two, we're talking about some transfer news and what Fulham need ahead of that new season. And in part three, we've got a little stack of your questions to get through as well. So we'll start with yesterday. And Farrell, what were the three word reviews saying? Well, my first question is actually back to you, boys. I mean... Um, I'm, I'm pretty certain about the two Jacks and me. But Dan, how did you get in when you're larger than a size of A4 piece of paper? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I, was, I, I brought a bag and the woman made a very strong point. It was like, in two weeks' time, you will not be able to bring that in. I was like, yeah, great. Cheers. Mm. Happy days. I, <laughs> well, I can't, I can't bring some liquid to my nephew. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be really, it'd be really boring game if you had to sit in the uh, the bag store all week, all the, the game while, uh, while your nephew is is having a having a grand old time at the cottage. I don't know that first half. You might prefer to be in a bag store. Um, but yeah, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> right, go on, back on track. All right, three word reviews. Here we go. Um, there was a couple of really good ones on on Instagram. To start off with. Um, Talking about Raul and Bassey off the mark. Uh, Jakey Osborne's with uh, Fulham re- release R and B. Um, it's either Stormzy or Strizmai, I'm not entirely sure, is Hoffenheimer box office. Uh, onto the Twitters, we've got Jay, Sam- uh, Jay Sampson's Bassey is classy. Uh, TJ's ready for liftoff. Uh, average, Fulham, average Fulham fans hassled the Hoff. And I'll finish with uh, Weekly, Geek- Weekly Geekly, a regular contributor with Feeling the Bass. Nice. Very, very good. Feeling the bass. That's excellent. I mean, it was a, a bit of a strange game, Dan. It's probably how I put it. It was a 
not a particularly exciting first half. Fulham potentially could have been three 0 down at the break and wouldn't have been able to have too many complaints. But it did liven up in the in the kind of second period. What were your kind of overall thoughts on on what we saw yesterday? Well, I mean, we we met on the concourse at half time and had a slight moment where we looked at each other and said, "Are we this bad? Is this is this actually how bad we are?" Because first half was really poor. I mean. Hoffenheim didn't have to do much to be better than us. I didn't think they were particularly good anyway, but they they made us look really poor in that first half. Sloppy, slow. It was it was like very preseason friendly. But actually, second half, I think it left a lot of positive feeling throughout the fan base because we played some football that was really neat. It was quick. Uh, there was some really good link up play. I think, especially with Raúl Jiménez up top. I think there was a couple of times when he just dropped into those deeper areas and he brought players in around him. That's what he did for the goal, that dummy for, for Bobby Deckard over Reed and then finishing it off. So I think there was, there was a lot of positives in that second half and it was very, very different. But I think more so just it was a tempo difference. And I wonder if Marco sort of went in and was like, this is, this is your last game before we start the Premier League season next week. You can't be sort of strolling around. Yeah. And, and I guess we also didn't know until yesterday that we played 90 minutes the day before as well with a different 11 but I think there's there was just a sort of getting back into the swing of things so I was a lot more comfortable at the end of the game than I was at halftime because I was genuinely concerned at halftime I thought we looked weak in midfield I thought we didn't look like we wanted to be in possession of the ball particularly much Hoffenheim didn't press us particularly high which then led to a Bern Leno Issa Diop and Calvin Bassey just sort of standing with the ball a lot of the time. And if you give Issa Diop too much time to think on the ball, he decides to run in a straight line into the middle of the pitch. Um, and we saw him give it away a couple of times. But second half, it was a lot better. And, and big shout out to Calvin Bassey. I think everyone's noted it, but looked really, really good. He, you know, there was some concerns about his quality on the ball, but he looked very composed. His pace and his strength saw him win the ball back a couple of times in situations where it looked like they might get away. So very promising first performance in front of the fans. Um, and likewise for Raul Jimenez. So positives overall. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I mean, Jack, what did Marco think of it? You were in the presser afterwards. What was the kind of prevailing sentiment? Well, he said it was a good game and that he enjoyed, you know, parts of it. We said He said he, uh, we had some good moments, uh, but of course there are always moments to improve. And I think that was a fair reflection. Um, it was interesting because he basically was saying that Raul Jimenez and Calvin Bassi, um, albeit had a great performance, but need more time ahead of the next week's game. And then, of course, the inevitable questions came about Mitrovic, um, to which he said, look, he's he's ready to play. And if he, was, if he wasn't, then he wouldn't be involved at all in the squad. Um, the fact he was named on the bench, he then caveated it by saying that there was a friendly the day before against Hoffenheim where he played 60 minutes. And um, so he basically wanted to play 90 minutes across those two games. And, and, and that's what he did. And um, he mentioned Paulinho as well, saying it's difficult to be sure of a time frame of his injury. Um, he's already begun the ball work on the training pitch. and It's good to see him back. So, so th- that could be a, a couple of weeks maybe before he's back. Uh, but back on Mitrovic and and the whole squad, he just said it's um, it's difficult to guarantee any, anyone staying at the club. I think he was being quite coy and didn't want to give too much away about certain speculation. He mentioned that William was still happy at the club. So from what I took away from it, I thought that there must have been a riff when Mitrovic sort of 
was displaying a, a desire to leave, but feels like that's sort of settled down now. It's not like I saw any characteristics from Mitrovic yesterday that suggested he wanted to leave. He was, you know, waving, smiling at the fans, clapping the fans before and during the game and after. And um, that that's a huge positive for, for all the Fulham fans, really. And uh, I think I think Marco's got the situation under control in terms of reinforcements. I, From what I gathered, I think there could be someone in close. And um, my guess is going to be Callum Hudson-Odoi, but we shall see. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's a probably a fair guess. I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about transfers and who Fulham need in, in part two. But Farrell, I just want to kind of circle back around on, on the new signings because Raul Jimenez was an interesting one. In the first half, and, and to go back to Cookie's point, I think there was an element of Fulham didn't play at all to Raul's strengths. Now, we know that there are question marks over whether his aerial ability is going to be similar to what it was back pre that injury. And yet it felt like Fulham just decided to swing the ball in time and time again in that first half. And it was there was a moment where he tried to sort of like scissor kick one, which felt like a, a natural heading ability where, where things are going to be slightly different in that regard. But in the second half, what I really liked was that Fulham adapted that play style. It wasn't, you know, big heavy crosses into the box. It was actually him being allowed to drop deeper, link up play. And actually that's where Fulham really looked like that improved second half. I think I think you touched on a really good point here. And I think that um, testament to what Marco Silva did, I think he underestimated Hoffenheim a little bit um, and how much, um, how hard they would work off the ball, especially in sort of the congested areas when the when we tried to progress it up the field. And it meant that Raul Jimenez's, um, any sort of rustiness he had was sort of exposed by, uh, by some of the Hoffenheim uh, defenders. Um, and you're right in saying that trying to get balls into the box uh, for Jimenez to get on the end of was kind of snuffed out by the Hoffenheim defenders, um, in particular Sazlai, who was I thought was excellent for them in the first half as well. Um, and, you know, every single time, like, they tried to play the ball to round Jimenez's feet, it wasn't really working. It was, it was a couple of times it rolled under his foot. Um, it, you know, sort of rolled away from him a little bit. And it just get, meant that they you know, Hoffenheim were able to launch quite a few successful-ish counterattacks on the back of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Marco Silva did adapt it a little bit. We were able to sort of um, sort of feed it in wide and actually sort of bring it in and out of the midfield and sort of put the Hoffenheim and run, run about the Hoffenheim defenders a bit, a bit more. And I think that did work. And you could see it, especially when Mitrovic uh, eventually came on, that there was a lot more space for for the Fulham players to to sort of work with and win it in better areas of the field. Um, I felt like, um, you know, Marco Silva did get them a bit going and, you know, win it in, in better areas of the pitch so we can actually exploit their, um, exploit the fact that, you know, the opposition were tiring a little bit towards the end of it, I thought. Um, but yeah, I think all in all, it was a pretty good performance, but, I do think that Marco Silva did, un- or the Fulham players did, underestimate how good this Hoffenheim t- team could be, considering they are probably in a lower position than than they have finished than they should be. Hoffenheim in the in the Bundesliga, I think they've only finished really mid table the last couple of years, which is a bit different from previously when they've been sort of flirting with European spots and a couple of times almost mounting little title challenges in the last few years, but. Yeah, um, all in all, I think okay performance. I think we could have done better, really. I just wanted to talk about Raul Jimenez. Um, what I find interesting is obviously ever since the injury, there's been this conversation that he's not been the same player. He's not scored the same number of goals. 
But you, I think you do have to also take into perspective that Wolves just haven't been the same team. Yeah, 100%. And, and he is not the only striker who was struggling to score goals at Wolves. You know, they famously went a whole calendar year without a centre-forward scoring a goal for them last season and spilling into the season before. So I think there's... It's nice to see him get an early goal, albeit not in a, a competitive fixture, and see what he can really do. Because I think, they were, even myself included, I was slightly sceptical because if he was going to be the full Mitrovic replacement, he doesn't have the goals in the past few seasons in it, under his belt to say that he was ready to step up to that. But put him in a team that does create chances for a centre-forward like our team does, and actually maybe we could see the old Raul Jimenez, especially if we're playing to his strengths. And this is and this is also a player that that has done you know and scored you know multiple two digit Premier League uh, goal scoring seasons um, in the past and from the, the couple of preseason appearances that we've seen him in now I can already see that quality is much better than Carlos Vinicius don't get me wrong I really love Carlos Vinicius but you can just see that little bit of extra confidence in his first touch a little bit of extra energy in his play a little bit better sort of anticipation for where the ball is going to be and I just do think it's a step up in quality than what was our backup striker last year which is already an improvement yeah yeah I think that's fair I think that's fair Jack there was less debate over Calvin Bassey there are moments where he goes a little bit wandering but generally I think across the course of the 90 minutes he was pretty much Fulham's man of the match from like the first time he stepped onto the ball, you could see this air of confidence. He had like an aura about him. I think there was a moment in the first half where he just picked up the ball from in his you know, centre-back position and just marauded forward and was just powerfully running through. And then someone did wipe him out. Um, but that sort of confidence is to be admired, especially your first appearance at Craven Cottage, your first appearance in in London in a you know, Premier League stadium with a not a Premier League crowd as such, but you know in a friendly like this. But... He took the game like it was a huge opportunity for him to show what he's made of. And like he didn't really put a foot wrong, really. I, I was so impressed with just the way in which he just went about things. And then to, to cap it off with a goal as well, absolute bullet of a header. Um, I, I was majorly impressed. It, it, it's, 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 it's interesting because when you have someone like Tim Ream, who's really composed on the ball and actually doesn't really make you feel nervous anymore when he's got it, um, and this was the question we were talking about last night about whether Reem's going to get much of a look in now over Bassey because he was very impressive and obviously Reem came off the bench. It's a great option to have, um, but in terms of Bassey, he took the game completely and it was it was really good to see. And it's really good for a centre-back to make that sort of impression on the ball. It gives the fans a lot of confidence that we can, you know, play out from the back. He can come forward with the ball and, and, and create or at least set up something of, a, of an attack. And I was very encouraged, very encouraged. I was going to keep questions for part three, but actually I think that there's a there's one that, that fits really nicely off the back of that. And it's from Rick Cardis, Faz. He says, well, you know, is Bassi going to replace Ream? I think Ream's experience and leadership keep him in the lineup if he's healthy and ready to go. And I, I think it opens up an interesting debate because the first half, I thought we looked really shaky on the ball. And I think the Diop looks so much more composed when Ream is next to him as opposed to what we saw yesterday. And yeah, it feels, it would feel incredibly unfair to, to drop Bassey after that kind of performance. And that's, that's a tricky one that Mark is going to have to manoeuvre around. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can definitely see from yesterday's performance that Bassi has pretty much similar profiles of a centre-back like Tim Ream and like the, you know, ball-carrying centre-backs, very confident on the ball, but also very good in the tackle um, as well and very positive. Um, you know, when the ball goes up to the striker, they're trying to nip in ahead of the striker rather than sort of shield them away. So they all fit that similar sort of mould, which probably Marco Silva has started to realise that Tosin's not the, the type of player that, that he would like um, in that system. So it's good to see that we are actually thinking if, you know, God forbid, Ream gets injured again or Diop gets in again, um, gets injured again, then, you know, each one can slot in either way. I don't know what the answer is to the question in between Ream, Diop and, and Bassi. The only thing is, is that Bassi is obviously very left-sided and so is Tim Ream. So, and we're in, you know, we're in 2023 uh, Premier League football where, you know, you want to have a left-sided centre-back and a right-sided centre-back and not two left centre-sided uh, centre-backs at the... Uh, at there as well so you know this is this is modern day football where we're deciding in between those minute differences uh, in that area the only thing I would say about yesterday's performance that we've got to taper at the fact that you know Calvin Bassey was great on the ball yesterday at bringing it out and Cruyff turning on the edge of the edge of the box to try and um out wheel out weasel uh, past uh, certain players but this was against an aging Kramerich at Hoffenheim I think it's going to be very very different when he's up against a Harland, a, Ka- a Callum Wilson, you know, those sorts of players as well. Um, I, I mean, I, I want to see him keep doing it, that's for sure. But whether it be as, as successful, we'll, we'll have to see in a few weeks' time. Yeah, I mean, Cookie, at halftime, we discussed the idea that I don't know how you fit all three of these players in. Um, and, and I agree with Faz on, on the fact that we've tried two left-footed centre-backs before and we've had quite a struggle with them at times. Um, is there a place in, or is there a world where Calvin Bassey plays in a slightly more advanced role? Because I think that you look at what he brings and, and that physicality and, and the ability to step onto a man and make those decisions and that recovery pace and speed. And there is a world in which I see that transferring to sort of a defensive midfield shape. I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea because we've very, very rarely seen him play outside of left back or centre back, there have been the odd games where he's played in midfield, um, which was all a bit strange. A little bit further up towards the latter end of his Leicester career, he played a little bit further forward. But it's not something we've seen loads of. Yeah, I think yesterday I said to you, "Are we David Luizing him?" I think I'll temper that. Maybe we're Callum Chambersing him as a <laughs> as like a, a process. But I think it's something that. I, and I did give it some thought. I, I never even considered it prior to you saying it. But in games where we're not going to have as much possession of the ball, I think it'd be interesting. And uh, would you be looking at potentially a Bassi Polina sort of double pivot? The Is shield, that what you're envisaging? Shield. Oh, I think also with yeah. the first couple of weeks of the season, no Polina and. We'll come on to Sasha Lukic in the, in the question section, but I, I think that there is currently no obvious natural defensive midfielder to come in and back up Joao Polina. Yeah. And whether that's something that Fulham looked to strengthen or not is a different question. But right now, with the squad as it is, I think that there's got to be some sort of ability to switch. And if he's putting in those kind of performances, and yet Tim Ream is the captain of this side and we don't want two left-footed centre-backs, there does start to become a dichotomy as to how you get them all in the team. Yeah, and I, I do think that I prefer Sasha Lukic 
a step further forward. I, and as you said, we'll come on to him, but I'm not convinced still that he is someone who will be able to play as our deepest midfielder in the Premier League. And so I, I, I can see the argument for it. And I don't mind it. The, the reason why I prefaced it with when we don't have a lot of the ball is because at times yesterday, I still thought we were missing someone at the base of midfield offering for the ball more. And I think Calvin Bassey is not necessarily going to be able to do that. He's not going to drift sort of flank to flank, looking to pick up the ball off his fullback or his centre-back because he wouldn't be as comfortable in possession as, as a natural holding midfielder. But in games where we're looking to to be more solid or if we don't have Polina, I can see the argument for it. I guess it also comes down to how fit and ready is Tim Ream. You know, it's it's off the back of that injury. He has played a bit. I would have expected him to have started, though, I think, if he was going to start next week. I don't know if that's... it. Was, or maybe because he played the day before, actually, he will be starting. But I think it's a good... For, for once, it's quite a good dilemma because usually last season, it was if we didn't have Tim Ream, then we were flapping. And on the other side of things, when we didn't have Anthony Robinson, we were flapping. We all remember Tim Ream marauding up and down that flank at Forest away. Like he did an admirable job, but it's quite nice that we won't have to be in that position again, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Jack, I I suppose the level of, of confidence is the last question I have in that Everton is in six days now. After that performance, where do you sit on, on how confident you are going into the season? Not as a whole. I mean, just for that game. Um, oh, interesting. I think I've looked at all the bottom half Premier League teams like during preseason and gone, where are they at? What's the fan base thinking? And Everton's the one that I'm most unsure about um, because they haven't made a load of signings. They've brought in um, Dan Juma and there's this striker coming in from Sporting Lisbon this week, I believe. Um, and in terms of yesterday... They actually played Sporting Lisbon, I believe. Tarkovsky limped off. McNeil apparently is out for a few weeks. He was the one who scored against us in that 3-1 victory we got them at Goodison Park. They've sold Ellis Sims to Coventry. I, I don't know. Um, I think I think with, with the 11 that we, we played yesterday and you know, if Mitrovic plays over him and as we'll see, I'd be fairly confident we can go there and at least get a point. I think we have, well, obviously we have to, we, I think we have to win the game really because we've got a really tough start um, or at least get a point. But, you know, Everton were on such a downward trajectory uh, at the back end of last season. They just survived by the skin of their teeth against Bournemouth uh, for a Decore goal. They obviously put five past Brighton, but that was a freak performance. I, I don't know. I think in terms of Fulham, I've got confidence that we can go there and get something. Um, obviously we'll be playing with a different profile of striker. We went with Dan James up top, but Goodison, I think one of Jimenez or Vinicius or Mitrich will start, which will obviously be a different dynamic in the way we attack. But um, if we've got Willian and Wilson playing, we'll create from wide. And in terms of our defence, I think we look pretty solid. So I, I, I feel okay. I don't, I'm not dreading it. I'm not dreading it like I was in the Liverpool game last year. I'm going there thinking if we can get three points and get off to a good start. Uh, we would all be very, very thrilled, I think. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Everton look like, considering they've all been in the quarry for the last three months eating gravel since the season's <laughs> finished. So um, we'll, we'll come on to that later on in the week as we do a full season preview on the Thursday Club. Uh, but for now, after the break, we're going to be talking about the transfer window uh, and where Fulham need to bolster the ranks ahead of next season. 
Hello, it's Sammy here, and this episode of Fulhamish is supported by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is a way of watching sporting events, TV shows, and films which aren't available where you are by switching your virtual location of your phone, tablet, or laptop to a country which is particularly perfect for those 3 p.m. kickoffs which aren't televised in the UK. And right now, you can get an exclusive discount by going to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Not only will you benefit from their already huge discount, but you'll also get an extra four months for free. You can use one account on up to six devices. Also, it's completely no risk thanks to Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to get that special rate plus four free months, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish or hit the link in the description of this podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Jack Collins here joined by Jack Kelly, Dan Cook and Farrell Monk. And we're going to talk some transfers and this Fulham squad as a whole. And Jack, I'd like to start with you. You mentioned in part one that you thought that Callum Hudson-Odoi could be the player that feels like he's about to sign for Fulham. Is it a position that Fulham are are desperate for out on the wing? And also, is Callum Hudson-Odoi the first choice you would have gone for here as opposed to someone like Damara Gray, who's also clearly heavily linked? I think in terms of ability and exciting signing, I think Callum Hudson-Odoi just pips it for me over Damari Gray um, due to his age, where he's come from, what he's done in his his early career, uh, mainly more at Chelsea than by Leverkusen, but um, he's the one that I think will get fans off their seat. Um, however, within the last few moments, I've just seen that um, Reluct Nico from The Sun has said that Everton now want Gray to leave for Fulham to raise funds for additions, whereas the story last week was they're waiting to bring in additions before they sell Gray to us. So perhaps Gray is the closer of the two because Callum Hudson-Doy, the whole thing's gone a little bit quiet. Apparently we've agreed personal terms with him, but that was again a couple of weeks ago and we're still haggling over a fee. This feels very similar to the situation we had last season with Burnt Leno. It was reported ages ago. We didn't get it done until, you know, a few weeks afterwards. And that was because we were being clever and smart and we actually got a very, very good price for him. I feel like this is the sort of same situation. Um, and I'm willing to wait for that sort of profile of player if we're haggling the price and we're doing it sensibly. So I, I you know, 10 minutes ago, I would have said, I think Callum Hudson-Odoi is, is, well, I did say that he's the, he's the one that I feel is more close, but maybe now Gray is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it changes. So Gray, to make his debut against, against Everton. Everton. I'd be very, very be surprised. Very surprised. <laughs> Faz, where are you on Hudson-Odoi? I, I, you know, if you asked me about Callum Hudson-Odoi a few years ago, I'd have been absolutely buzzing for that for that signing, despite him playing for that lot down the road. Um, you know, he he's an incredibly dynamic player. Um, he does fit the sort of profile of what Marco Silva would want from a winger, hardworking, but also can sort of take players on 1v1. And it's a bit of a goal scorer too. Um, however, everything has gone a bit south for, for him. Um, he did pick up that bad injury at Chelsea and it never really has... He's found his opportunity to get back in and obviously made his move to Leverkusen, which you think, okay, go and rebuild your reputation. But to be honest, it hasn't really worked out there as well. He had a good start to last season in the Bundesliga, um, but he then sort of picked up a little niggly injury halfway through the season. And then whenever he appeared for them, he was it was pretty bad, to be honest, when he came back on and really hasn't been chosen ever since. Um, 
But as I was speaking to a mate of mine the other week when we we're talking about Callum Hudson-Odoi, Fulham aren't in the business of picking up diamonds. We're here about sort of finding these rough diamonds and, you know, rebuilding reputations and whatnot because the diamonds are being picked up by bigger clubs. So, you know, on the basis of last season, I'd be like, no, let's not let's not go out and get him. But on the fact that he's still only 22 years old and we've seen what he is capable of, I'm actually, actually, this is the right type of player that we want to go for in that regard. And then on Damari Gray, I think it is actually a really good signing. I was speaking to an Everton mate of mine and he was saying, you know, although under Dyche, we weren't exactly a hugely potent threat apart from that freak five goal victory over Brighton, but he was actually one of our brightest attacking talents in that, in that part. But Dyche just isn't, doesn't like that free-flowing sort of att- uh, attacking winger like like Damari Gray. I think they're both really good signings. If I, if, you know, all in all, but you know, Gray's coming in with a, you know, probably thinking I'm going to come in and start every week, whereas Hudson Odoi is more sort of I'm going to have to rebuild my reputation and work really hard to to fight to get into this team. I'd be very surprised if Callum Hudson-Doy comes in being like, yeah, it'd be fair enough for me to sit on the bench for a while, considering where <laughs> he's come from and the pedigree, eh? you know, that he kind of has. Yes, last season was bad. And and Cookie, I mean, that's the interesting one that obviously started, as Faz says, last season well in the Bundesliga. They had a change of manager. Chabi Alonso came in. He switched to a three at the back, wide forwards, no, no real sort of number nine, but using wing backs in, in, instead of those kind of traditional wingers. And that's a system that really didn't suit Hudson Doy. He is a winger that likes to drift inside and and play that kind of number ten role, similar in in some ways to Willian. And and that's I think why I like this signing. My question is, if Chelsea want eight million for Hudson Doy, and we think he's worth the re- reclamation project, if you will, then we should probably just pay eight million for him. That seems like a really reasonable fee. <laughs> I, I, I agree, and, and it's it's silly because if we're we're talking difference between three or four million between what we're willing to offer and what Chelsea are looking for that in the grand scheme of things at the moment it is real pittance like it's it's not a huge difference and it's crazy to think that Callum Hudson-Odoi is only 22 still yeah. you know he's 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 what 22 and, and two-thirds from 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 checking so he's he's got so much room left to grow and I think I've always thought with Callum Hudson-Odoi that even at the time I think things were happening a little bit too quickly for him at the start of his his career, at his breakout. I think he got his England cap too soon, too early. He was sort of thrust in into the limelight. And I think partially because Chelsea have, hadn't had a player like him come through their system yeah. for a bit of a while. And they were looking for the next one. They were looking for the next Terry to come through and, and put on a pedestal and be like, here is 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 the latest product who's come through from a, a young age. And actually it's then unraveled a bit for him. But this is perfect. This is this is exactly as Faz says, this is exactly what we do at the moment is is we pick projects and players that we believe we can buy into. We can get them to buy into the project and, and come through and find that form again. So eight million pounds and this is what I was looking at our squad just now. If you compare Damari Gray and Callum Hudson-Odoi to the two players that in theory in the current squad they'd be replacing is Ivan Cavallero and Anthony Knockart who are still in our <laughs> squad list on the website I think everyone takes that and considering that <laughs> I think at eight million pounds Callum Hudson-Odoi would be cheaper than both of them from memory <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah just just 
do it, please. Yeah. Yeah. Press because the button. I, we are not far away from those two being back in the squad, yeah. like back in well, a match squad if these don't go through. Anthony Knockout was our uh, record signing in the 2020-21 season that, and didn't play a single minute of Premier League football for us, which is quite remarkable. What do you reckon, like, we're just basically waiting for funds to be released? You know, Tosin is likely to be leaving at some point. I think the club are just, you know, looking to cash in on a player whose stock is probably at its peak um, currently with one year left on his contract. And maybe they're waiting for, you know, possibly the Mitrovic transfer deal to go through just to release some funds because they've already whacked, you know, 20 million euros on Bassi, which is no sh- small change, even, you know, even for a club mid-table in the Premier League. And maybe they're waiting for those things to sort of happen before actually going, well, we can't really afford this extra three or four million. We, we're going to have to wait for other things to go through so that we can actually put those through. Yeah, I mean, it's a strange one. Obviously, we we have the FFP period now doesn't include the 100 million season, the infamous the infamous splurge, mm. if you will. So obviously, Fulham spent money in the last three years, but it's been far more controlled. And so the FFP limitations, if you will, should be loosened this summer, considering where Fulham are and, and, and the money that's been picked up from two promotions and also then staying in the Premier League last season. So there's a a really interesting kind of dilemma regarding that uh, and seeing exactly where we are. And and it would take someone more schooled in the finances of football than I am in order to exactly work out what the kind of limits on that budget is. But from kind of just a brief overview outside of perspective, it looks like this summer should, should be one where Fulham have a little bit more wiggle room in the transfer market, no matter what's coming in or out of the club, just in terms of, of those regulations. But I wanna, I'm going to move this forward and I want to ask this question to all three of you. Um, but I'll start with you, Jack. The, you know, the second part of Rick's question from part one was actually where do we need to bolster the squad? Just positionally, and I don't mean in terms of like picking up names here, although if you have any, feel free to throw them in. Um, you know, where does this squad still look like to you? Uh, I'd say we need it's hard to say because you look at a player like Kevin and Babu and go, are you going to be a part of this season? Um, I, I would get in a, a backup right back. If I had to name names, Max Aarons is still at Norwich. Um, Dest is still, at, you know, at Barcelona, I believe. So um, left back cover as well. Does, does, does Calvin Bassey come into that left back cover? I'm not sure. Well, Dest would um, do both. So that would be useful. Okay, so yeah, um, and then I think yeah, an extra CDM to cover Paulinia, um, because I agree with Dan. I don't think Lukic necessarily should play that role in a Premier League game. I think I think we'd, we'd be in trouble there. Um, I think we need another another couple of wide players, definitely another ten to replace Pereira if and if need be. Albeit Bobby D called Overeed is brilliant at doing that. Um, I would just like a, an extra name in there as well. I think that's maybe us done. I, I think if Rodak goes, another goalkeeper back up to Leno. Apart from that, I, Jack, I, I think, think you've named in... every single position there. <laughs> <laughs> apart from number I didn't nine, say we're, striker. we're covered at number nine, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think most of that I can completely get on board with. 
Um, whether we bring in a different profile of midfielder is the question I would add. And those links to Fausto Vera interest me because he is more of a kind of recycle the ball. And it goes back to what you were saying, Dan, about, you know, having a midfielder who's comfortable in possession. Someone like Fausto Vera is very, very comfortable on the ball. And if, if those rumours are to be believed, that would change things. I mean, Faz, what are the, the priorities, I suppose, for you? There, there are obviously a lot of holes and I think Jack's outlined that really well. But if you had three positions to fill because I don't think Fulham are going to go and sign six players now between here and the end of the window, despite Tony's desire to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to have a deadline day bargain. Um, I think it will be, it's going to be very interesting to see what we bring in. And, and look, the other thing is that Marcus Silva's spoken about this, right? He said, you know, unfortunately, pre-season, we had some players injured. That didn't help. But of course, we have to add players. If they arrive before the first game, it's very good because we need to work with them to prepare them. This is so important. In pre-season, this wasn't possible for many reasons, but we have to keep working. Yeah, and I think on that point about getting players in before that first game is really important, especially to a manager like Marco Silva, who is a bit of a, you know, as reports say, is a bit of a tactical perfectionist and working players with the system is going to take a long time to get them up to speed as we've seen with some of the players that have come in and taken time to adjust um but you know back to back to specific positions i think winger is obviously one of them but we've already talked about a couple of players who are due to come in we know i think fullback i think that's probably somewhere we do definitely need need cover i do i I I have this thing about Kenny Tete. I love Kenny Tete. I think Marco Silva loved Kenny Tete. I think he's one of the most underrated right backs in the, in the Premier League. That's for sure. And he had a brilliant season last year. I don't know if it's the type of profile of player that Marco Silva wants. I think he wants a more energetic um, right-sided player like Anthony Robinson on the left-hand side. But that's kind of, you know, that's speculation more than, more than anything. And I think, I think in midfield, but a similar profile to, to a Harrison Reed or a, or a Andreas Pereira type player. Yes, Decker over Reed fills in that number 10 position. I think he does do an admirable job, but I think more on the Harrison Reed sort of type of player, that sort of wide eight. Um, I think that we do need to cover there because I don't think Sasha Lukic is the answer to that. I don't think he's uh, necessarily capable of playing that sort of player who can operate not just in you know, the the right side that sort of can fill back in that base, but also go into that position. And the, as one of Dan's favourite uh, sayings, love handles in the box uh, area of the pitch to sort of link up with the with the wide player as, as well as Harrison Reed does. I think we do need a, a player that can that can do that sort of job, which I don't think we have elsewhere in the squad. I think Luke Harris has been tried in that but I don't think it has worked yet so far but obviously he's so young yeah I, I think that Luke Harris is probably going to go out on loan so uh, I think that we can probably discount that as as a full-time option this season and I think it would probably be best for him if he went out on loan as well there have been rumors of him going to Exeter where obviously Jay Stansfield succeeded last season <laughs> that little link being developed is something that I really like um Cookie where are you on this because I'm I completely agree with Faz and Jack on on fullback. I think we need a a backup right back, although I do think that that person is going to be a backup. I, I can't see Kenny Teto being dropped. Um, but I am with you on I think that Fulham needed an out and out six if Polina is going to be injured slash suspended, as as we saw last season. 
And one of the players we were linked with last summer was Braga's Almazrati. Now, he's had another absolutely sensational season. One of the best players, I think, in the Primeira last season for Braga as they nicked a Champions League spot off Sporting and, and broke the kind of hegemony of the, the top three in Portugal. If that deal and that option is still on the table, that's something if I were Fulham, I'd be looking to activate big time. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and at the time it was actually, it was a toss up, wasn't it? It was Almazrati or, or, or Polina. And I, I think if you have both of them, I mean, we're in a, in a ludicrously good position, a physical, strong player who actually profile matches so similarly in a lot of ways with, with Polina. And I, I think when I look through our squad, because I'm, I'm starting to look at, Hudson Odoi and Demari Gray is pretty much being yeah, sure things. At least one of them will happen. And I think I'm comfortable with where we are out wide if they happen. The, our midfield just looks light. And it's the same midfield as we had last year. And that it was light then. You know, we, we were in situations where through suspension and through injury, we were just not the same team. And ideally, I would want someone in, in Polina's mould, so an Almazrati would be, be fantastic. Whether we can convince him to come uh, at the prospect of probably playing second fiddle, I don't know how many games we we would deploy both of them. That That's the tricky thing. But I'd also just, I just want to throw someone in there who's got a little bit more on-ball quality. I think this, this team has scope to grow. We've got really, really good players in, in across a lot of positions. What at times I think we missed last year was that additional bit of composure in midfield. And especially if we've got Andreas Pereira, who's playing in that, that 10 role most of the time, he has a tendency to be pretty careless with the ball. In, in his bad games, a lot of our moves end with Andreas Pereira. And actually, I think if we can just add a, an additional composed player in that midfield... I think we become a better team, especially in those games where either we're being pressed. So if we looked at that Brighton game away last year, I know we won, but we didn't have anyone who could handle the Brighton press. Um, or if we look at games where teams are sat back against us and we struggle to break them down, a la West Ham, we needed someone to dictate those games. And so I think that's another area I'd put it in. And <laughs> just a, a fun little tidbit about Fausto Vera. Do you know where in Argentina he was born, Jack? Is it Rosario? No, he was born in a place called Hurlingham, which I think is a really, really <laughs> weird Putney Fulham link. Like, how, like so in, in theory, he should be right at home coming and playing on the banks of the Thames because he'll be just down the road from the Hurlingham club. So I think I think get that one done. It will be an easy, easy move in. But yeah, I think that that's where we're we I'd like to see us grow. Because if you look at the squad at the moment, it's Harrison Reed, Kearney, who Again, I thought at times last season was brilliant, but he is not going to play 90 minutes of football every week. And, and really, he's he's just become that option off the bench to control games or to break teams down. Andreas Pereira, Polina, Lukic, and at the moment, Tyrese Francois. And I know Adrian Piazzitti, I think, is coming back as well. But I think given how things are at the moment, it, it's unlikely that he's he's got a role in this squad. So... Yeah. That's where we need a player, at least one. I'd like two, but I think it would likely only be one. Yeah, I mean, it's all good. Matt Dibley Diaz can fill in if we need to. Yeah, it's always <laughs> good to have have him in and about. Uh, I was sad just that the he other, didn't get on just, yesterday. Yeah, just the other thing on it as well. I th I would love us at some point 
it it may not be this season because I think there's still a bit of churn in the squad and and also there's an understanding I think throughout that we do have to get things right this season because if it if it starts badly there is scope that that we could be in trouble like we're we're def- we're not a team that everyone's looking at and going Fulham are definitely safe people are still putting us in and around that relegation zone and I think oh, quite rightly because yeah, it yeah. could happen but is there a moment where we can actually just square off a position on this pitch and be like that's for one of our talented academy players that have come through and as you said about Luke Harris it's probably not this season but where does Jay Stansfield fit in here because at the moment I'm not sure there's been talk and I wonder if we could drop him deeper into that 10 role but I think that's more as a withdrawn striker as opposed to a a true 10 yeah so then that's that that's tricky but I would love us just to to make that call because it's been a while since we saw a player come through like that you know like Fabio Carvalho coming through Everyone loved that, you know, to have a player that, you know, we're not going to sign anyone. We could potentially sign someone who would be better, but actually we're going to trust in one of our academy players. But I, I, again, I don't think I can see it happening this season. It was just kind of a shame for Jay Stansfield that we're not playing in the championship right now because that would be the perfect opportunity for him to come through like a Fabio Carvalho. Um, but I don't think the club are going to be like, let's get relegated just so we can give Jay Stansfield a, a go. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right, so we have a couple of questions to answer after the break, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Jack Collins here with Jack Kelly, Dan Cook and Farrell Monk. And it's time to go through some of the questions that came in on Twitter. And I want to start with this from Chris Jack. He said, thoughts on Lukic. I thought he played well today, but I'd still like to see him do a little bit more. Is that positional in terms of what he was asked to do yesterday? Or is that him still growing into this side? Because he feels a bit like a new signing, I think, still. Yeah, it's a curious sort of situation with Lukic because he came in I in January when we were really doing quite well and it was very hard to unsettle the midfield and sort of change things around. He'd basically only come in if Paulinho got suspended, which seemed to be like every four or five games the way last season went. But there was an air of when we lost Paulinho, the midfield was so much the dynamic of the midfield was different and it it made us look a lot weaker um yesterday's obviously you know a friendly but it didn't give me the impression that like oh we look really weak in midfield here I thought Lukic held his own very very well and alongside Harrison Reid looked really decent um with obviously Bobby as the 10 and Pereira coming off the bench and stuff and you know I I remember asking Marco last season, at the end of last season, where where does Lukic sit? Like, because he's hardly featured. Um, and, you know, do you expect him to be a part of the squad next season? And he said, yes, I do. I think he's been a player who um, hasn't had enough minutes due to just how, how good our midfield has been. But he's someone who's improving. And he's obviously new to the country and learning a new language. I, I, I'm really excited about Sasha Lukic. And actually, the bits and pieces I saw in the USA, um, he looked really tidy. And I think yesterday he was tidy. He didn't really, for me, look... Um, he, he looked very assured, um, composed, and it's a good option to have. And I do like him. I do like the way he plays. I, I think I'm, I'm excited about him. Yeah, I mean, Cookie, what was your thoughts? I know that you know we're all pretty much in agreement that I don't think that deepest role in the midfield suits him and suits his game from what we saw at Torino. But 
I thought he was comfortable on the ball yesterday. He's he's quite nice at evading pressure. His press resistance is is pretty smart in the middle. And whilst he doesn't always make the most exciting passes, he tends to keep onto the ball. Yeah, I like I I, I do like him, and I like a profile of player like his. They're just they're quite pleasing to watch. Someone with that composure, but also. He has that sort of gait when he carries the ball where he sort of drifts with it. And whilst not looking quick, he's able to to get away from players. And he, there was a couple of moments, and he did it last season as well, he drove us forward with the ball when the, the moment arose. My only problem is I still just can't quite pick which role he fills within that this current midfield. That's my only concern, is that he's just not naturally any of the three out of the, the standard of Polina, Reed and Pereira. For him to come in, for him to start, I think it requires a slight shift. And that's the tricky thing because he's not the dynamic six slash eight that Harrison Reed is. And whilst I think he has more quality on the ball, a lot of the time Harrison Reed's dynamism is actually more important to yeah, us 100%. than his his ability on the ball. And then... Likewise, in the 10 role, actually, Andreas Pereira's pressing was such a huge element of, of what made him good about us last season. And again, Lukic better on the ball, but does he provide more in that role than Pereira? I'm not sure. That's where I'm struggling because it, it's difficult because I do like him and I like watching him play. It's just how we use him. And and, and I wonder if, if, you know, if you do shift that midfield around and you play him alongside Polina potentially and and bring Pereira potentially a bit deeper. Maybe that works and you have that that double pivot where you allow him to dictate and Polina to do the dirty work. I just then again you've got the the trouble of you've lost Harrison Reed's dynamism, you've lost that running in midfield. And so that's I don't know what you think, JC, but I just find it hard to slot him into this current squad. And it's not saying he's a bad player, it's just we have a very defined system at the moment under Marco and he doesn't seem to fill any of those roles. Yeah, I completely agree on the on the dynamism point. I think that what Harrison Reed offers, especially out of possession, uh, just in order of getting around and making sure that there are bodies around and it means that we don't get exposed quite as easily is something that's very difficult to replace if you don't have the same kind of engine. Uh, and therefore it, it leaves Lukic in a pretty weird spot because that is the natural position I think that he would occupy the more advanced of the of the pivot if you will uh, that kind of eight role that and he's good and what he did add at Torino I thought was that ability to get into the box to add goals to the, his game and and we haven't really seen any of that from him at Fulham uh, and that's because of the slightly differing role that that Marco asks his midfielders to play so yeah I think it's a really interesting one but it's going to be something that I'd imagine we'll see develop and and, and change and you have to develop and change right you, you can't have the same thing over and over again because people will start to work us out and last year there was that element of surprise I don't think people were expi- expecting Fulham to be quite as dynamic off the ball uh, we weren't expecting us to be as you know intense and that's all well and good and those things are really important in Premier League football but there is a point where and we saw it occasionally in games last year especially the Arsenal game at the Cottage where they just ran rings around us and the way that they knocked the ball around was just sort of okay you're intense but we're better than you and and that's okay it's not a problem to, to be losing to a team like Arsenal who are challenging for the title but it does start to filter down the league as well and when you have other teams doing that to you that's when things start to get a little bit tricky and, and I imagine we're going to see a little bit more of that this season and therefore 
Marco will have to adapt his side to actually make things work. And, and I wonder if that's where Lukic gets a little bit more of his opportunity in, in this side. Faz, I'm, I'm going to come on to another question. Uh, this one's a bit more of a, a logistics one. It's from Ari. And Ari says, the Riverside stand looks completed. Why are they not letting fans fill it up? <laughs> I always get the most exciting questions, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I think um, basically what what seats you saw last year that were being filled are basically all the general admission tickets in inverted commas and all the fit out of all the hospitality areas, they haven't been completed yet. So therefore the rest of the stand can't be filled up because there's no space to actually put the fans in because I think they're still building that upper level with all the hospitality, the restaurants, the spa, the members club, the nightclub, whatever else they're putting in there. Um, (laughs) I think that's basically what it is. So yeah, that lower level, that concrete floor with a couple of bars has been completed. So therefore they can fill out that bit, but the rest of it, no, definitely not. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the whole wooden temporary bar arrangement at the bottom, bottom deck is, I imagine a little bit uncomfortable for people who are paying three grand for a season ticket, but uh, <laughs> that's just my opinion. One of these that actually I did think was interesting, though, was that for the first time yesterday, we saw the gates at the end of the Hammersmith End concourse. And that's new. Obviously, you used to be able to spill out from the Hammersmith End down onto the river. It doesn't look like that's going to be a, a thing anymore. I'm worried about that, Faz, because the Hammersmith End was always packed anyway. Now, I know that there's been a, a promise to add more staircases um, and allow people to be able to just traverse between the top and bottom decks on the Hammersmith end behind the goal more this season. But the fact that they've tightened it when it felt already like a bit of a crush, and it was a crush, I thought, yesterday with not the whole stand filled, was a little bit worrying. And, and I'm concerned about health and safety in the Hammersmith end, and especially in the concourse, now that that's even tighter than it was before. Well, I got to use the new staircase yesterday and what a what a delight it was. Um, you can get to the I toilet mean, without walking I, the entire way around now. That's good. <laughs> no, I actually went all the way down to the other end because it was a lot quieter uh, to use the loo uh, at halftime. But um, I don't usually sit in the Hammersmith end, but I have been there a few times in recent years. And yeah, it's it's mad how, how much of a crush it is in there. Um, even yesterday, I mean, the stand was only probably less than half full with three blocks, not even... Uh, not even being used. It still felt pretty busy down there and it still took me ages to get served at half time. Um, but yeah, I mean, this isn't new. Uh, it probably won't change anytime soon. I wish I had a bit more of an optimistic finish to this, but um, I think we know where the club is, uh, is really sort of laying its priorities. It's also my favourite part of the Hammersmith end. I, I'd like... I, from what we could tell when we went down and asked, it potentially wasn't a permanent solution. But I love going down to that end by the river before a game and having a drink there. Like it's such a nice spot, especially if you get a nice day or a nice evening. You're stood by the river having a drink. And the fact that we've been blocked off is really irritating because it was fine. Like you can have filters going both ways. You can have both people from the Hammersmith end and from the riverside in there. So it doesn't make sense to me if this is the permanent solution. Mm. Yeah, they've separated the wheat from the chaff, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They basically, they wanted to, I reckon, they just want to turn the club into some sort of exclusive members club in that regard and not be inclusive to the chaff as as, uh, Jack has 
put it really by the the river the best part is the uh, samosas they sell they do like three for eight pounds with some incredible mint dips and i'm just like bring them back because to be fair standing there with a pint and a samosa before a fulham game i remember last season where the championship season it was one of those big big nights where we had to win to get closer to promotion it was uh it was the the peak of life i think i I love how much fulham lean into that sort of image i mean i remember that quite funny thing uh like someone did like i think it was a qpr fan on twitter did a a fake Fulham song that was like, hello, hello, we are the Fulham chaps. And if you don't like feta and spinach, go and die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if they make it, we will come. I think you see the answer they get. Um, Jack, I want to move on Keep to Mitch. nothing though. to say right now. No, they have nothing to say. You're absolutely right. Um, because we've got a load of questions on this. Cody Gerrard said, if Mitro stays, what's it going to take for you to forgive him or would all be forgiven as soon as he steps on the pitch? Um, Fulham home run said if Mitro stays does he stay beyond this season and then John Harkness said do I get my Mitro Fulham scarf out of the bin before collection day or shall I just let it go um it's something that's obviously on the mind of a lot of people yeah of course and you know I'm I'm of the I'm of the the point of don't believe everything you read I believe that there was a desire to leave this whole I'll never play for Fulham again you know could have been said hot-headed you know when you when you say something you don't mean and you immediately sort of retract it we've all been there um look from from what I saw yesterday it looked normal it looked like nothing really was amiss um he was slightly sheepish, I have to say, when he was warming up in in the first half. It's it's not down to me to tell you how you how to feel about the situation. It's 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 just an individual thing, isn't it? Personally, I feel a bit upset about the situation, the way it's got been reported, the way he's gone about it allegedly. However, I said this to you know Joe Sanson on, on the Jack and Joe show that you know if he if he comes and starts against Everton and scores and gives it a celebration and uh, no one's going to be like no no one's going to no one's going to be annoyed by that it's a big goal in a big game and i i am under the impression that all will be forgotten and it's just down to certain people and their own mindset of whether you want to forgive him or not he hasn't hurt you personally he's just tarnished his legacy has he really i mean if he scores 20 goals next season no one's going to mention this ever again really is he no unless he leaves next summer well that (laughs) that was one of the questions does he stay beyond this season i I don't know is the answer obviously um there there is an element i think that he's obviously fouls on a a long-term contract and will the same interest be there as as he continues to you know get older and and whether the performances this season back up what we saw last season there are question marks kind of everywhere right so i I think to kind of predict the year in the future is probably a, a little bit bold but Farrell, I mean, can can you see a world in which people don't forgive him? Because I can't really. Yeah, of of course. I mean, the the only way that that people won't forgive him is if he literally refuses to play for Fulham ever again, um, or he makes statements in the press about you know the club or 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 Marco Silva or other players. I think there's there's a lot there are a lot worse ways that he could actually go go about go about it all. You know, I think I'm firmly in sort of like the Jack camp in the Jack Kelly camp. Um, 
just in case you thought it was Collins, um, around the sort of like, <laughs> don't believe everything you read in the, yeah. in the papers sort of thing. And, you know, there's so many things, there are so many question marks over what has been said, what has been done. I firmly believe that Marco would not have selected him yesterday if he did not think that he was, he was willing to play for Fulham this season. But then, we thought that about Costas Mitroglou, that that one preseason game, and he was off pretty much the next day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I it was. I mean, it just Mitroglou leans into Fulham. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we'll skip over that. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, it it did it it just leans into the whole fact that Fulham is such a meme club. We have our star striker, one of our most one of our best players of all time sheepishly warming up on the sideline and sort of waving a little bit from his big return. And then I didn't see him clap, clap the fans off at, at the end as well. He sort of just headed off down the tunnel and whatnot. You don't, that you don't expect that from, from a player like Alexander Mitrovic, you know, um, hopefully we'll be, we'll be more, we'll know a bit more. I mean, this is a player that has actually signed a new contract with the club every single year that he's been here. He just wanted his annual pay rise, really. You know, maybe he's, <laughs> he's doing a, he's doing a, maybe he's joined the RMT and he's doing a rail strike or something like that. Perhaps. perhaps. You know, maybe he wants his cycle to work scheme. Yeah. Yeah. He wants, he wants <laughs> all of the bits and bobs and all the bells and whistles. Uh, last one, Dan, sort of similar vibe, but it's from Jamie. He says, if he does stay, how do you think Marco distributes game time between Vinicius, Raul and Mitrovic? Because actually there is a little bit of a question mark there if he does remain at the club in that Fulham only play one strike. Don't I think we can forget Muniz. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that in a particularly nasty or negative way. I just think that he's probably going to be on his way out in some form or another. But three strikers for one role, Dan, without European competition, there's maybe one too many bodies in there. There is, there is. And I would guess that likely, I think Carlos Vinicius probably maybe unfairly drops to the bottom of that ranking. But given that Raul Jimenez has just come in, there will have been promises given to him. And I still think, and I think I, me and Drew spoke about this. I think he put a message out there, but I think there was a point where Raul Jimenez was actually going to be our first choice centre forward when the whole Mitrovic thing was rumbling on. And actually that was the plan. And so now it does get really tricky. One thing it's great for is we can actually lob some firepower at cup competitions, which is quite nice. You know, that That is, it does open that up, but I don't know what we do. I, I really don't know. Cause the only thing I can come to is that you, you have to let one of them go. And then that ultimately that becomes Carlos Vinicius, which is a shame because actually he really, towards the end, ingratiated himself to the fans a little bit. And, and we got really on board with him. And actually, he seems to add a lot to the, the dressing room. He seems like a really good guy and the players love him. And it would be a shame after having such a horrible start to his career at Fulham, where no one really liked him because he wasn't Serbian and he didn't score lots of goals, that by the end of it, when everyone actually, there was, there was almost, there was a conversation going on when Mitrovic came back from his suspension that maybe he, he shouldn't come straight back into the team because Vinicius is doing a, a good job and he proved it. He started against Southampton. He got that goal. So it'd be a shame, but I, I can't come to any other conclusion that he presumably has to leave or accept that he's barely going to play because 
at the best of times, well, you know, even when Mitrovic is at his worst, he rarely gets subbed off. And if he does get subbed off, I imagine that'd be Raul Jimenez. Mm. So, yeah. I, I, and I, I don't think any three of them have the ability to play in a different role in the team either. It's not like where last season at the start, Jay Stansfield got shunted out wide for a bit because he was in the squad and he's a bit nippy and he can play out wide. These are three centre forwards yeah, and you can't move them anywhere else. Yeah, it does feel, it does feel that way. Maybe he's just going to accept the Daniel Ricciardo role at Web Bull. Um, just, like, <laughs> he's just there for, for wives. Um, you know, <laughs> but as was said on a previous podcast, he does feel like the glue holding the club together this, uh, this summer. So <laughs> I, I would be loath to see him depart. Um, but with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. Uh, all that's left for us to do is to name this podcast. I'm going to hand you back to Mr. Farrell Monk. Thanks for the F1 reference, and I didn't even do it. Um, there were some, there were some really good ones. Um, uh, I really liked average Fulham fans hassled the half, but I think it's a bit more um, apt to have TJ's ready for lift off. Very good. Very, very good. Well, that's it from us here at Fulhamish. Uh, thank you so much to Mr. Jack Kelly. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Farrell Monk. Thanks very much. And thank you very much to Mr. Dan Cook. It's been great to be back. Thanks, JC. I'll break the mold. I'll say something else other than these two, just parrots. Yeah, honestly. honestly I, was really wor- I was really worried you were going to go for a three in a row there and I was going to have nothing to say. Uh, I've been Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish, your independent voice of Fulham FC. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back later in the week with a Thursday club preview of the season. Very excited to be seeing the boys in person for that one. And come on, you whites. You whites.